So we're just a couple weeks into our new uh, sermon series uh, in the book of 1 Peter, uh, and we're calling it Strange Faith. And our text for this morning comes, uh, or begins, uh, with the word therefore, uh, which of course means that it's building on what came before. Uh, And so if you're new or if you just need a refresher, uh, I'll just quickly catch you up on what's happened so far in this chapter. In essence, uh, Peter has told suffering Christians across Asia Minor that they have a living hope because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And hope that's alive, hope that's living is strange, but it's necessary if we are going to persevere through the various trials of human existence. And the last several weeks and months, uh, I think we would all say um, that we've experienced uh, the deep brokenness of our world. We've seen that it's filled with racism, even in 2020. We see signs of systemic oppression, murder, deadly diseases, and the like. The list goes on. And we are often, I think, tempted to throw in the towel of our faith uh, in light of all these things. But God offers us a living hope that's built to withstand the hardships of our world. And I think our post-Christian society that we find ourselves uh, is actually a lot like the pre-Christian society that Peter uh, was teaching in. And although most of us aren't uh, facing state sort of mandated persecution for our faith, uh, Christianity is no longer deemed acceptable uh, by many. Peter teaches us that following Christ and obeying what he commands will always make us strange in some ways. And that's uh, today what we're going to look at, another aspect of our strangeness, um, which is our holiness. So what does it mean to be holy? And why, in an age of polarization, would we want to be holy? You know, isn't holy just a euphemism for bigotry or self-righteousness? No, it's, it's not. And I, I want to sort of stress from the front and detox that word perhaps for some of you who are watching um, that holy people are actually exactly the kinds of people that our world needs right now. Why? Because to be holy is to be set apart in our dedication to God and loving him and everyone around us, no matter what regardless of the circumstances. Through it all, we're dedicated to him and to all people. People like that are stranger than ever. And Peter tells us to do three things if we're going to become holy people. Holy people must have an active hope. They must become who they are. And they must uh, have a different pattern for their lives. So they must have an active hope, follow a different pattern, and become who they really are. So if you're able, I want to invite you to stand uh, for the reading of God's word. Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. And if you call on him as father who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile, knowing that you were ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers, 
not with perishable things such as silver and gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of the Lamb, without blemish or spot. He was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in the last times for the sake of you, who through him are believers in God, who ransomed him from the dead and gave him glory, so that your faith and hope are in God. The word of the Lord. Okay, so to begin uh, with point one, holy people have an act of hope. Look with me in verse 13. Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. So how do we have hope uh, in difficult circumstances? Peter says it starts with our minds. Preparing your minds for action uh, literally means to gird up the loins of your mind, as King James Version says. Peter paints a picture of a robed man uh, in uh, sort of preparing for a run. And, and if, if, you were, if you had a robe on, you would have to gather the bottom of your robe and, and sort of tuck it into your belt uh, in order to avoid tripping as you run. So setting your hope fully on God requires disciplined thinking, yes. But I want to say this. It doesn't end there. Holy living is not just about our minds. It begins there. Hope isn't wishful thinking. It always leads us to action. So growing up in sports, um, my coaches would often talk about, uh, you know, being mentally strong, having mental toughness. And, you know, our our mental game as athletes uh, needs to be just as strong as our game on the field. And Why? Because to succeed when your body is screaming, you need to sort of uh, really train your mind to tell your body to do the right things even when your muscles are screaming and you just want to stop. Holiness, um, being set apart in love for for God and love for all of our neighbors um, is difficult. And especially through a season like this, And it will require specific embodied actions or it will be short-lived or we'll give up. So we are to gird our minds for action and for mission, really. Mentally prepared to love God and our neighbors, come what may. Next in this passage, in verse 13, he says that we are to be sober-minded. You know, you probably automatically think of, of, of drinking, right? Drunkenness is often a refuge for people who are hopeless. But Christians who look for the coming of Christ are animated by genuine hope. We don't have to seek escape from the world's troubles. In other words, to be sober-minded means to have a real and genuine hope that leads us to real and genuine love for God and for others. Christians are not escapists. Christians are hopeful realists. That's what Peter's teaching us. Peter commands this group of suffering Christians to set their hope fully on the return of Christ. The return of Christ. Peter knows that when life gets hard, uh, we always look for something or someone to place our hope in. To be the answer to our problems, to right the wrongs in our life, and our society, and our world. We're always looking for someone or something to place our hope in in difficulties. It could be a political movement. It could be a romantic relationship. 
It could be a steady job right now. It could be a hobby or children. It could be a vaccine. All good things, by the way. But this becomes problematic when we expect good things to do ultimate things that only God can do. Namely, to restore our life, to right all wrongs in our world. And so we fix our hope on Christ and his return and the restoration of all things. Again, maybe this feels like a cop-out. Maybe you're like, yeah, sounds like pie in the sky. I mean, why should Christians care about the broken world when God is just going to return and make all things new? Why should we care now? That's a, va- that's a valid uh, point to make, a question to ask. But I want you to see, just to continue to see, that this hope in the return of Christ is what enables us to live the way that Peter calls us to next, and that is to become who we really are. Let's read verses 14 through 16. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. As it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. So Peter uses two identity markers for Christians in this passage. First, he says that we're called to be obedient children and then holy people. So I'll sort of take them in turn. Through faith in Christ, the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ becomes our Father and we his children. That's what we believe. That's the strangeness of our faith. And yet, what does it do for us? Um, so when my, my girls were born, um, you know, about two years ago now, they didn't really look very much like Anne and I at all. Um, they looked a lot more like uh, aliens at first. <laughs> um, but now, they not only look like us, uh, they're starting to act like us, they're starting to adopt some of our mannerisms uh, and even act and talk like us. Evie will, uh, when, when I sing, sometimes I'll sing to her, um, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible, she, that's the only word she sings, for the Bible tells me so. And they are starting to pick up some of Anne's sort of uh, intonations and phrases as well. And they're becoming like us. And it takes time. And it takes a relational ecosystem uh, for us to become like our parents. And Peter is saying, because God our Father is holy, we are to become like our Father. Holy in all of our conduct and deeds, not just the way we think, mind you. All of our conduct and deeds. We are to be like our Father in everything that we do. So I want you to notice this. Peter does not jettison holiness from relationship with God. This is biblical ethics in a nutshell. If you want to say, okay, what, what are New Testament ethics in a nutshell? It's this. It's because of all that God has done for us in Christ, become who you are in him. His obedient children. Be who you are. You're his. This means that holiness is first and foremost, this is what we need to understand, holiness is first and foremost an attribute of God. The word holy is used some 500 or so times in the Bible, and it's the most common attribute of God. 
Isaiah 6 tells us that he is three times holy. And in the Hebrew, it just means that the word is compounded one on top of the other. It's perfection times perfection times perfection. And so when we are called to be holy like him, it only happens in relationship with him. You see, if we think of holiness primarily as a code of ethics that we should follow, um, when we're doing well according to our standard, we will get proud. But when we fail the standard, when we don't live up to the code of holiness, we feel ashamed. But Christian holiness is so strange because it has everything to do with God and our union with him through faith. We are set apart by, only by the grace of our holy God. So in middle school, I loved to swim at the Highlands Rec Park. I loved to go up there uh, with my family, with my friends uh, in Highlands. And it was there that my friend, who will remain nameless, um, right before I jumped off uh, the diving board, uh, yelled across the pool deck and said, Hey, Andrew, you're such a poser. You know, maybe it was because I was trying to be a good diver, or which I wasn't. Um, maybe it was because I was trying to do cool tricks off the diving board, which I couldn't. Uh, maybe it was because I just had failed to impress them for some reason. Uh, I still, to this day, don't know why they called me that. Um, but just parenthetically, middle schoolers who are watching this, bless you. You're going to get through this. It's, it's hard, but you're going to get through this season. Um, it, it hurt. It hurt because none of us, none of us want to be posers. None of us want to seem inauthentic. We, none of us want to be seen as a pretender, an imposter. And I want to just sit on this thought for a moment. You know, the psalmist says that we resemble who we revere, either for ruin or for restoration. We resemble who we revere for ruin or for restoration. And I want to ask you, if you're honest with yourself right now, who, who is it that you resemble? Who do I resemble? Do I resemble God or am I faking it? I think if most of us Christians get really honest, I think we're faking our holiness most of the time. We're posers trying to impress others and maybe God, but it's not really working, is it? We don't resemble God in our thought life. Uh, our actions are marked with self-interest, just like anyone else, almost uncontrollably. We seek to escape frustrating situations. Our speech can so often be harsh and critical. Our attitudes can be gross, and our actions less than virtuous. It's no wonder that the world has all but given up on the church, that we're known more for hypocrisy than love. We're an unimpressive bunch trying to be impressive on our own strength, trying to live up to our own standards. 
I think we can act and feel like we're posing as holy people rather than actually are. And I, I want to just try to be really clear here. There's good news for spiritual posers. What Peter is reminding us of is that we never have to pose as a child of God. We are forever his because of Jesus. It's not based on what you've done. It's not based on what you've not done. It's based on what Jesus has done. The Holy One, he and he alone has made you and brought you in to the kingdom of his beloved son. That means the only posing we can really do is to pretend that we're spiritual orphans rather than children of the king. And thankfully, we can actually stop pretending and become who we really are. You see, when Christ visited the earth, he didn't just teach us how to be holy and say, good luck. No, the Holy One came down to make unholy people like us, like me, holy like God. As Peter says in verse 18, on the cross, Jesus, the most holy one, had his precious blood, like a lamb without blemish or spot, spilled on the cross in order to ransom us, to buy us, to purchase us, our way into the family of God and holy and his holy kingdom forever. And he rose in victory to give us, to give the glory that God deserves and so that we also can give God glory in our ordinary everyday lives. And when he returns, we will live together forever with him in perfect peace. Shalom. So when we place our faith in Christ, something happens in our relationship with God or relationship to God. He no longer is merely our righteous judge. In our justification, our righteous judge also becomes our good father. And we become his good, and faithful, obedient children forever. Regardless of our behavior, we become those people because of his grace through faith. And in our sanctification, our becoming holy Don't try to turn your father back into merely your judge. He's always your loving father, no matter what you've done. So we no longer have to pose as spiritual orphans, trying to be good on our own strength. No. In Christ, prodigal sons and daughters can come running home every single time into the warm embrace of a father And it's in the context of this relationship with this holy God that we, yes, me, you, become holy more and more like Jesus, the Son of God. And we start to live in this pattern, this pattern of love for God and all people. And that's my final point, that Jesus has ransomed us on the cross and given us the power to follow a different pattern for life. Friends, this is why we're so stinking strange. 
because we follow the pattern of a holy God who took our unholiness upon himself to make us holy like him. So just a little bit earlier in the service, we heard a few verses from the book of Leviticus read. And in verse 16, Peter quotes uh, that passage or a similar passage, which recalls the charge that was given to Old Testament Israel uh, that they were not to pattern their lives after the customs of Egypt that they had left behind or on the customs of the promised land of Canaan that they were entering. You see, God had rescued them in order to set them apart as this strange and different people that were dedicated to loving him and to giving God the glory and being a blessing to all people. They were to follow God's good pattern and he had given them the pattern. It's called the law of God. But the story of Israel, the Old Testament in essence, is how they failed uh, miserably to follow the pattern that God had laid out for them. And they resorted back to their former ignorance and futile ways, as Peter says. And sometimes we can think that their sad story, we can think that their story will just repeat itself in our lives, right? Maybe you can, maybe you find yourself believing that you can't overcome an addiction. Perhaps you feel like you're always going to be self-obsessed. And I think we can feel stuck. We can feel like we're spinning our wheels. You know, when your car is stuck on a patch of ice, um, no matter how fast you rev the engine, you're not going to go anywhere if you're stuck on some ice. Your tires need something else, something that they can grip or you'll just keep spinning. There's a passage um, from Ezekiel, uh, which is a prophet that lived a few hundred years before Jesus and Peter. And in Ezekiel 36, God speaks uh, to his people that were stuck in generations of unholy living, patterns of disobedience. And God promises something, or really someone, that will cause them to walk in obedience. And I'll just read two verses from Ezekiel 36. Listen in. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. You shall dwell in the land that I gave your fathers and you shall be my people and I will be your God. God knows that when it comes to following his holy pattern, we can never do it on our own strength. He must come or we'll get stuck. So our holy God comes to dwell in us to get us unstuck, to get us out of patterns of addiction, of hopelessness, of despair perhaps, maybe of anger, maybe of impatience, frustration, of judgmentalism, if that describes you, you're not alone, but God can get you unstuck. He can give you a new pattern. That's the whole point of the Holy Spirit coming into us, the Holy Spirit, to make us holy so we can obey Jesus and follow him through even the trials of life. And let me see if I can illustrate this really quick before uh, we close soon. 
Um, when I was thinking about marrying my wife, uh, Anne, um, there was a question that someone asked me that really helped me process uh, this big decision and pray through this big decision um, of a lifelong commitment. And the question was simple. It was, do I want to change in the ways that Anne will change me? And of course, you know the answer to that question, I did. Um, But although I didn't know exactly the kinds of changes that she would bring about in my life, just by virtue of being in a relationship with her uh, as long as we live, I had a sense of her heart. And I had a, a taste of the kind of person of joy and of grace and of gentleness and of compassion that I knew I needed in my life and I wanted in my life. And now, some seven years into marriage, um, I'm so glad I did. And I've changed in ways that I never imagined I would. So the question for all of us today is do we want to change in the ways that Jesus, this holy God alone, can change us? If you want to love more and judge less, move toward the God of endless grace. Commit to him. He's committed to you. If you want to see justice reign in more and more places and for more and more people of color in this nation, move toward our God of perfect justice. If you want to be holy, singly dedicated to loving God and your neighbor as yourself, move toward the God of holiness, perfect holiness. God comes to dwell inside our hearts so we can choose what is holy rather than what is easy, to be repatterned in the way of Jesus. And so to kind of wrap up, I want to just give us sort of a picture or maybe some practical pathways um, for what this strange but glorious life of holiness uh, can look like uh, on street level sort of uh, this week. So just a few, just three little simple things. Take some time every day to actively place your hope on the return of Christ. Look, time in his word, time in prayer every day is not about checking a religious box. That's what spiritual orphans do who aren't sure about their good father who loves them. Children of God want and desire and find joy in being with their loving father. And he will reactivate your hope. When you spend time with this God, he will reactivate your hope if you need that today. And to repent, perhaps, of ways that you have uh, resembled the world, resembled another counterfeit God uh, rather than the real God. And he will restore you with his grace so that you can pursue him again. So take some time. Let him give you this act of hope. Secondly, become who you are in community. We can become who we are in the context, this ecosystem of relationship. We grow in in resemblance of this God within his holy family. 
And so I know uh, we're on virtual sort of church right now and it's, it, I'm tired of it too. And yet there are spaces, there's, there's weekly prayer, there's morning prayer every day, there's worship services coming up, there's concerts, there's a discipleship class, there's women's Bible study, there's even a, a book discussion on Tuesdays where we're exploring uh, the history of racial injustice in this country. And why? Because we want to learn to mourn with those who mourn because racial injustice breaks the heart of our God and we, we need it to break our hearts as well. So we want to image him more f- fully. There's so many ways that we can become who we are in community. And so join us. And lastly, let's, let's re-pattern our lives uh, together. You know, Paul uses the language that every member of the body is indispensable to the body. And I want you to hear me say this, even though I can't see you right now and it kills me, but you and all your you-ness and all your uniqueness, whoever you are, you are indispensable to Grace Community Church. And if we're going to grow together to love our neighbors, to love our cities, Hendersonville, Asheville, Mills River, Fletcher, Arden, if we're gonna do that, we need you. We need you, we can't do this without you. And so show up, continue to show up and be known and know others and care for others that God has brought uh, into our midst, and, and you can even partner with our local outreach ministry. We're trying, we've partnered with, uh, you know, a, a group in Hendersonville. I'm, I'm trailing off here, but there's so many ways that we can be repatterned in the way of Jesus. Okay, to wrap up, Grace Community Church, may we together grow through the grace of our holy God, Father, Son, and Spirit, to be a beautifully strange people, uh, imaging him, resembling Jesus more and more, walking uh, in uh, the spirit together, walking in the ways of Jesus um, so that we can make him look more and more glorious um, to our world and uh, that we might be filled more and more with his love. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit.